0: This morning we're going to finish up our stewardship series and we're going to do so by looking at what it means to steward our ministry. Before we unpack that and walk through that together, I want to just hit some of the highlights of what we've talked about in this series. You'll remember we started with what it means to steward our heart. We consider the importance of keeping our heart soft and and surrendered to the Lord. And we understand how that only takes place when we learn to abide in His love, to to live in the reality of His forgiveness and grace. That we're humble and teachable, always seeking to grow in our faith. We want to cultivate a, a thankful heart that consistently recognizes the blessings of God in our life. Then we also talked about what it means to to steward our relationships, and when we did that, we talked about what it means to be created in the image of God, an image of uh, undivided fellowship. So in a very real sense, we were created for community. It's not good for for man to be alone. And even when God designed the church, he had the understanding that we're going to need help, that that nobody has this figured out, that, that we need one another to grow and and be strengthened in our faith. But not only do we need help, we need protection. We live in a world filled with lies. And so God designed the church, the community of the saints, to be a place of refuge. And so for for many of us, we need to understand that, that that church, that relationship, that community that we have, when we step outside of that, we step away from God's design for our protection. But most importantly, We want to cultivate and and protect these relationships for the praise and glory of His name, to bring Him honor. We are a diverse people who live in a deep unity because of the reconciliation that we have through faith in Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we want our lives to put the gospel on display, that they, they will know we are His disciples because of our love for one another. That same heart of of putting the gospel on display is really ultimately the heart behind what it means to steward our finances. We want to give out of the abundance of what we've received from him. Just like we just said this morning, he's the owner and ruler of all. And so we want to be able to steward the gifts that he's given us in a way that brings him glory and honor. We remember that all we're doing is trying to follow the example of what Christ did for us. Who although he was rich for our sakes, became poor, so that through his poverty, we might become rich. And so like Christ, we want to give the very best we have to offer, not what's left, but the best. To give sacrificially, to give cheerfully, in a way that gives glory and honor to God. And that brings us to our final topic this morning, where we talk about what it means to, to steward our ministry and really what we're talking about here is what it means to live out God's purpose for our life. How do we be faithful to, to steward that great responsibility? So before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to you this morning and we think about what we've walked through so far, we want to be reminded and be committed in our desire to be a good steward of the gifts that you've given us, the privilege to, to Cultivate a heart that is shaped by you. Surrendered to you, soft in your hands. To become the men and women that you have called us and ultimately created us to be. To, to live in a relationship with you and with your people. To see the unity that we have with you portrayed in the unity that we have with one another. And that we would be a giving people, a, a, a thankful people. A people whose commitment is to live out the reality of the message we are called to proclaim. Help us to be faithful to that. Help us to understand what it means to live out your purpose for our life this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you would turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to look at several verses in this great chapter in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And and as we do that, I want you to know up front that we're not going to look at every detail of the passage, but we're going to try to take a view at it to to consider what it means to have the right motivation when it comes to stewarding a life of ministry. And and so, as you can see in your outline, it really starts with a heart that longs for a heavenly hope. Let's see what Paul means when he writes about that, beginning in verse 1. For we know that this earthly tent Which, which, let me start over. For we know that if this earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, inasmuch as we, having put it on, shall not be found naked. For indeed, we are in this tent, we groan, Being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. For we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be present at home with the Lord. Therefore, also, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Paul uses this imagery of a tent and a building to help portray the message that he wants us to understand. As you know, I love to backpack, so I know a few things about tents. And what I know about tents is they're good for a hiking trip, but they are not meant to be a permanent home. Now, we know that a tent can provide protection, but it's always within limits, right? We know that even the best tents let in cold air at night. Uh, They can't withstand strong winds or hard rains. So, So they serve a purpose, but within limits. And no matter how well you care for that tent that you might own, Eventually, it's going to wear out. In the same way, our bodies as a tent are very much like that. God never intended for these tents, these bodies that we live in, this side of heaven, to be our permanent home. They're good for life's journey, but not a permanent home. They provide protection, but they're very vulnerable. And even the best tents eventually wear out with time fact is, we were made for so much more. We were created for eternity. We were made to live in a building built by God, a glorified body, free from all the limitations of life in this tent. We were created to exist eternally in a heavenly home that does not have the corruption of sin that exists in this world. In verse 3, Paul says that we don't want to be found naked. What he means here is that we never want to be without a home. He's trying to make the point that the moment we leave this earthly tent, we walk into the experience of that building made by God. That's why he says in verse 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He's telling us this is not a gradual progression. We're we're not going to be in this holding pattern. It's an instant progression. Reality, When the limitations of this mortal life, as it says there at the end of verse 4, are swallowed up or consumed by eternal life. That's God's promise for those who believe. And when we know that truth, when we hear those words spoken, there should be something within our heart that longs for that day. And let me tell you who are the people who long for that day most. They're the people who have understood and experienced the limitations of this world. Those who've lost loved ones. Those who deal with sickness and disease. Those who endure persecution. These are the people who understand very clearly that this is not our home. These are the people who long with all their hearts for this to pass away. But what's true for them should absolutely be true for all of us. In fact, I believe we can only be faithful to our mission on earth as long as we long for our hope to be realized in heaven. As soon as we lose sight of that heavenly hope, we get way too comfortable in this world. We begin to get distracted by pleasures and ambition and and, and selfish desires as if this is what we're living for. And even C.S. Lewis has this heart in mind when he says this. Listen to what he says. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. He says, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. See, that's what happens when we lose sight of heaven. We become far too easily pleased. We get way too comfortable in this world. And we lose sight on what, for what on earth we're here for. The fact is, God gave us a, mess, a mission, a, a ministry, a, a purpose in life. And, and that's the only reason that we're here, is to fulfill that purpose. The Bible tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. You see, Jesus was faithful to his mission because he never lost sight of the heavenly hope. That was the joy set before him. So he could endure the realities of life in a sin-cursed world in view of the hope that he was certain was true. And what's true for Jesus is true for you and I as well. We will be faithful to our mission only to the extent that we keep our eyes fixed upon our heavenly hope. As soon as we lose sight of that, we lose sight of mission because the two are deeply connected to one another. So if we want to know what it means to be faithful in our ministry on earth, Our heart needs to consistently long for that hope that we have in heaven. Listen how Paul continues in verse 10. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. To each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest to God. And I hope that you are made manifest also in your consciences. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us that you may have an answer for those whose pride is in appearance and not in the heart. For if we are outside of ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. I think the point that Paul is trying to make here is that we are good stewards to this ministry that we've been called to fulfill when we don't lose sight of the reality of God's judgment. Now, you may remember from our study in Corinthians, when we talked about the layout of that city, there was a main corridor that went through a lot of the Roman cities like Corinth. And in that uh, that corridor, there was a kind of a wall and there was a stone seat built into that wall that faced the main corridor. That seat was called the Bema seat. And what would happen there is that a judge would sit on that seat and the people would come and they would present their cases before the judge. And then based on the evidence that was presented to him, he would make a judgment of either guilt or innocence. It's that image in mind that Paul has when he talks about the judgment seat of Christ. So with that in mind, I want to ask you, in the day of judgment, what is the evidence that you will present to prove your innocence? As you look at verse 10, is that in some way intended to communicate that you just need to make sure your good deeds outweigh your your bad deeds? Let me tell you, I can be certain that that is not the case. And the reason I know that is because of the exact words that Jesus spoke. So you don't need to turn there. You might write down John chapter 5, verse 24. Listen to what Jesus says about this day of judgment. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, He who hears my word, believes him who sent me, has eternal life. And listen to this. And does not come into judgment, for he has passed out of death into life. So the only evidence that we need to present in the day of judgment is the evidence of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. His blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. That's exactly what we said we believed when we came to the table this morning. Acts 4.12 says, there's no other name under heaven given unto men by which we could be saved. And so our life should be lived as an act of gratitude for that gift. A life of obedience is an outflow of a life of faith. And yes, I do believe that that we will give an account for our faithfulness in ministry. But hear me on this. It's not the basis of our judgment. Nor is it the motivation for our ministry. Instead, our salvation is secure based on the work of Jesus Christ. And we can be certain of that. But the reality of God's judgment still remains. And we know what is required for salvation, we understand what it means to be innocent in that day. And that's our message. That's the hope that we are called to proclaim. That's what we are supposed to do until the Lord comes again. And that's important. It'd be almost like somebody who had a cure for cancer. And they withheld that information while people around them continue to die of the disease. Now, if we heard that, we would all agree that is a cruel, cruel person to have an answer for something that causes death and yet refuse to tell anyone about it. You, who believe in Christ, have an answer to what causes spiritual death. You know what it means to be innocent in the day of judgment. How wrong would it be For us to have this information. To know this truth. And yet withhold it from the world around us. Who continues to perish. Because of the disease of sin. Paul is trying to urge us towards this life of ministry. This hope. One of the things that we need to remember. Is he tells us in in verse uh, verse 11. Therefore uh, knowing the fear of the Lord. We persuade men. The idea here is that we are called to be faithful to communicate this truth, but here's where it stops. We cannot make them believe. Okay, We can proclaim that truth with with passion, with, with the experience of that reality in our lives, but we cannot bring conviction into the heart of the people we're speaking to. Because conviction is a work of the Holy Spirit. We're called to be faithful. And we know, as as Paul says later in verse 13, he says, For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. That phrase that's translated beside ourselves literally means out of our mind. In other words, some people are going to hear that message of faith in Jesus Christ and the promise of eternal life, and they're going to say to you, You're crazy. I don't believe that for a second. And we know from Corinthians it says the word of the cross is foolishness to those who don't believe. So for some, yes, it will appear as if we're out of our mind. But he goes on to say, but for others, we are of sound mind. In other words, it makes sense. The truth we speak resonates with a need in their heart. And they believe. And in believing, they become a part of that family of God. But only God knows their heart. And only God can bring conviction. We've been called to be faithful, to speak the message of truth of a life that lives that truth. We're a steward of our ministry when we understand the reality of God's judgment. We're compelled to, to share the good news, the message of what it means to be innocent in that day of judgment through faith in Christ alone. We want to be faithful to live out our ho- that hope, that hope even as our heart longs for that hope to be fully realized. Look at how he continues in, in verse 14. He says, For the love of Christ controls us or compels us, having, recon, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And, and he died for all that they m- who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, no man according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting trespasses against them, He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. In order to be faithful to our ministry, we are compelled by the love of Christ. I believe this should be our ultimate motivation, to be compelled by the love of Christ. See, the more we know Christ, the more we abide in His love, the more we want to make that known. The more we experience that truth, the more that truth is lived out through our life. We understand that Christ died for all mankind, and that includes me. We of all people... Know what it means to be dead in our trespasses and sins. We know what it means to be a slave to selfish desires. We know what it means to be set free. John said, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. And we know that truth. And it's from that experience that we need to to speak that truth. If we are a new creation in Christ, we should never, ever Look at the world the same way. God has invited us into a new reality. So why would we willingly choose to live in the old one? We are ambassadors for Christ because of the experience of that truth being lived out in our life. We proclaim that truth not just as some work in the past, it's really important to to understand the reality of God's ongoing redemptive work that exists in our life every single day so that we speak of the truth of God's redemptive work out of the reality of our own experience. And we know how important that is. We, We know how people can speak and minister so effectively because of an experience that they've had. We know that those who have battled with addiction have a special heart in a special way to speak to those who struggle with that same issue in their life. We know that people who have lost loved ones can comfort those who have lost loved ones in ways that other people can't because they understand what that means. We know that people have struggled, like my wife and I did, with infertility, that nobody really understands that until they've been through it. And when they have, They have something to offer that really means something because they're speaking a message of hope out of the reality of their own experience. Well, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you know what it means to be forgiven and free. You're a minister of reconciliation because that's your experience. That's the reality that you live out of. You understand the the redemptive work of Christ going on in your life. Being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Old things gone, new things come. You experience the reality of what it means to grow in Christ, to be strengthened in your faith. So steward the ministry out of the reality of your own experience. One more thing. I think it's important, and Jason does a great job of of mentioning this as well. We need to appreciate the fact that not only are we understanding what this means personally, but we need to make sure we appreciate what it means corporately as well. We are a new creation in Christ, and that is true, but we are also born into a new community. Brothers and sisters in Christ. We've been made one through that faith in Christ. So we should see the, the gospel being displayed the, within the unity of our diversity. We should see the gospel be, de- being displayed through how we forgive and show grace to one another. We, we should see the, the gospel being displayed because of our love for one another. That's ultimately how they know that we follow him. It's because of our love one another. So when we think about what it means to live this life of ministry, consider what it means because of your personal experience of walking in faith, but also out of the experience of what it means to walk in fellowship with believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, as we think about these things and, and try to consider how they apply to our lives, we need to accept the reality that there's a tension that exists, right? We are in this world, but not of this world. There's an urgency to proclaim the good news, but there's not a panic. (coughs) There is a forgiveness that we have from God. And yet, we all know that we continue to battle and struggle with sin, right? So there's this tension that exists, and that's why I think it's so important to be reminded of what we said when we first began this series. When we talked about the difference between ownership and stewardship. See, ownership says... I own it, and therefore the focus is on me, what I do, the credit I get, the approval I seek. Ownership says I'm the center, but when it comes to stewardship, it looks different. As we talked about in stewarding our finances, we can't talk about stewarding my money. because it's not my money. We can't talk about what it means for for God to work in my church. It's not my church. He is the ruler and owner of of all and everything that we have is a gracious gift from him and as we said from the very beginning we honor the giver by how we steward his gifts and so really a life of stewardship is ultimately a life of worship how you live in a way that brings honor and glory to him by what he's done in your heart by what he's done in your relationships by the way he's provided for you, financially, materially, and then ultimately through your ministry. That faithfulness to speak the message of hope that you believe to be true. So yes, I long for the hope of heaven. But while I'm here, and while you're here, there is a message of hope that we are called to proclaim. Even as that hope awaits us to be fully and completely realized. It's not just in what we say. It's ultimately in how we live. The greatest evidence of the power of the gospel is a transformed life. If you want to know what it looks like to have faith in Jesus Christ, then look at a life that has been transformed by His love and grace and forgiveness. A life that understands what it means To walk in repentance knowing that there is a promise of forgiveness. A desire to continue to grow in faith and be strengthened in the hope of eternal life. And to speak that hope to those around us. See, we steward his work in our heart, in our relationships, in our finances, and in our ministry. Ultimately, to bring him glory and honor and praise. Because all of those realities are a gracious gift of his hand. That's what it means to be a good steward. And and ultimately, that's the purpose and, and meaning of what we are supposed to be doing here in the time that we have before he comes, that window of opportunity. To live a life of ministry is to live a life of faithfulness to following Christ and encouraging others to do the same. It's a life that lives in that tension of the reality of of the hope that we experience because of the spirit that was in us. And that spirit is a deposit of things yet to come. And we long for the day when we step out of this earthly tent and walk right into that building made by God. an Eternal life, established by Him, for Him, to the praise and glory of His name. So let's be faithful as good stewards to live out these ways. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to you and finish up just the consideration over the last few weeks of what it means to be good stewards. I hope that we have been reminded, if nothing else, of the graciousness of who you are as our Heavenly Father. I just love the words of that song that you inspired when Chris Tomlin says you're a good, good father. And that is so true. And so, Father, I just pray that we learn to live out of the gratitude for the way you gift us through that love, through that goodness. The way that you work in our heart to help us grow in our understanding of how our deepest needs are ultimately met in you. That we can be a people of confession, of repentance, knowing that we can come to you and it's a throne of grace and it's a throne of forgiveness and you're there to meet our needs. Help us grow in a way that we can live to honor and praise you. So, Father, I just ask that each and every one of us would be good stewards and encourage one another to live a life of stewardship, proclaiming that hope that is within us as we long for the day for that hope to be fulfilled once and for all. where We will no longer walk just by faith, but our faith will become sight. That's the day we long for. Pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.